And so when we have that kind of conversation, everybody agrees, oh my gosh, if you can use that data and add value in tax management, that's fantastic. And then the next question is, okay, so where does that data live in your organization? And, you know, the eyes glaze and roll back and uh, most firms, you know, have not really thought that through. Uh, they, they maybe have basic customer information in their CRM, but real detailed information that's actionable for investment management decision making, usually not. Um, and so that's when we really have to kind of lean in and, and, and engineer whole new processes for collecting and maintaining that data. I chose that clip for my conversation with Randy Bullard, Global Head of Wealth for Charles River Development because it perfectly caps the problem we run into at almost every enterprise wealth management firm. Nobody has a complete picture of their data, which becomes a roadblock for anything you try to do, from enhanced reporting to analytics to new platform deployments. I spoke with Randy about how enhanced data strategies have become table stakes for wealth tech vendors, why Charles River built out their own data warehouse capabilities, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. on in, sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 133 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Greg Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. Our theme for this month is organizing and managing client data. And our guests were selected to deliver best practices, lessons learned, tips and strategies to improve the use of client data in your organization. I'm really proud to announce that this month marks our 17th year in business. I founded Ezra Group in 2005 to deliver a range of consulting services to the wealth management industry. Since then, we've worked with hundreds of clients to help them shape their technology strategies, deploy and optimize new platforms, and understand the trends that are shaping our markets. I want to thank all of our clients, partners, consultants, employees, and friends who have helped us along the way to get where we are. If you are the CEO, CTO, COO, or other fintech executive with a software product that you're selling to broker dealers, RIAs, asset managers, or other firms, run Don't Walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and click the button to schedule a discovery session. Our wealth tech research team can deliver a wide range of market insights for your firm, including competitive analysis, addressable and obtainable market estimates, sales targeting, and insights on buying decisions and more. Every vendor needs this data to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. Okay, a couple of housekeeping tasks before I forget. Be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. A quick shout out to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. You can find them at investinothers.org. Now let's get this episode started. Hey, I'm happy to introduce our next guest on the program. It is Randy Bullard, Global Head of Wealth for Charles River Development. Randy, welcome, man. Thanks, Craig. How are you? Randy, it's been good. I'm no, not complaining. Everything's all right. We're all happy. We're all healthy. We're still doing our thing, right? Yeah, fantastic. Good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while. And you're one of the people I know, one of the oldest, not oldest people, but known you the oldest the longest right in this industry so it's been like since 2008 no it's been before that 
Yeah. It's closer to probably 0203. Yeah, it's a long time, man. But things are changing. So we're, we're, we're trying to bring it to light and talk about it and, and, uh, and share good stuff with, uh, with our listeners here. So give us the 30-second overview of Charles River, if you will. Sure. Uh, Charles River Development, uh, kind of a, uh, a long-standing, well-known kind of enterprise technology and service provider, primarily to the institutional asset management market. Uh, I run the wealth business, which represents about a fifth of the total Charles River business. Uh, State Street was bought, I'm sorry, uh, Charles River was bought by State Street about three and a half years ago. Uh, and then about a year after the firm uh, uh, bought Charles River, uh, they, they organized the uh, wealth industry vertical after State Street kind of looked at the business and, and came to the conclusion that the wealth business was uh, uh, really interesting, fast growing, uh, and really needed some purposeful direction and product strategy. And so they, they carved it off, created a vertical around it, and brought me in to lead it uh, about, about two and a half years ago. Yeah, time flies. Two and a half years you've been there. It's been fun. It's been a great ride. Yeah, that's what's important, right? You've, you've got to be doing stuff you love. And and you, I remember when they hired you, I was really impressed because it was a, I thought it was a great move uh, on, on State Street's part because, you know, you need someone like you with, with the connections, with the knowledge, and you've got the hours in your back from many years trying to build stuff that people said would never be built. Right? Yeah, yeah. So this uh, podcast is part of our series um, for managing and organizing client data. So we're going to talk about um, that. And we've got some really interesting topics so I'm, I'm anxious to get to. So let's just talk about how the industry has changed, um, things that you've seen around. Let's talk about table stakes. So can you kind of give us an overview of how you see things have changed in the, the wealth management platform business related to data? Sure. Um, it's an interesting topic. Uh, I mean, you know, data is king. It has been for a long time or really you know, since, since I've been in the industry, but the when I think about data, data management uh, in our industry, uh, my head fills with buzzwords, um, uh, data lakes, data marts, data warehouses, um, and uh, uh, APIs, open APIs, microservices, cloud-based architectures, all these buzzwords that, that are really uh, anchored on you know, access to data, sharing data, uh, uh, fluidity, easy movement of data, um, uh, and, and really, these are table stakes. If I, if, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I uh, run a software and services business, and I compete against other software and services companies. And if, if you open up the three or four first pages of my deck versus their deck, they're going to say a lot of those, you know, same things. Uh, and in the end, we're all trying to to do the same things. We're trying to share the data that we have and manage and collect in our platform so that we can publish it out and, and give other systems and, and processes within our customer organizations access to that data. And then we're trying to get data. You know, I, I'm an old school guy. I think about relational databases. You know, I just need the table populated, please. Thank you very much. And, and, um, and it, you know, we were, we, were, we were working on that back in the 1980s and we're still working on it now. We're just doing it with different terms and different technologies, but we're, we're really solving uh, the same types of uh, problems. It's just, we've got a better way of doing it, a better mousetrap with a lot of the new technologies that we've got now. Yeah, everyone's got that. It's it's everyone's is it was hurtling so fast into the future. It's it's the the rate of change is increasing, right? That there's things are changing faster. The tools are getting better. You know, the, the the stuff that we're working on with clients, they're able to build what 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 might have taken six months to a year. They can build it in two or three months. The, the time is really compressed with with different frameworks that you can just download stuff and you've sort of got a whole architecture built. But so that's 
that's a good start for what we're talking about. Let's so going from from that from table stakes and how things are changing into your data services group. So you're talk, you've talked when we were prepping for the call about how that group has been growing so fast and they're inundated. Can you talk about what your data services group is? What, what do they do? Um, yeah. How do they help your clients? And what type of requests are they getting from clients? Yeah, we've got a couple of you know, different kind of uh, uh, components of our data offering you know, within Charles River. Uh, we've got um, a product called our Alpha Data Platform. And that is effectively, you know, our comprehensive data solution for those customers of ours that are looking for Charles River and State Street to provide uh, a comprehensive data solution. And, and we've built that in partnership with Snowflake uh, as kind of a core enabling uh, technology. Uh, and we've, uh, you know, integrated uh, a large number of uh, specific data sets into uh, Snowflake so that we can uh, readily get access, you know, to them. And, and in doing that, we've really, you know, decided to ride the rails of an industry leader, um, and, it, and it gives us an easy button for being able to uh, get access to data. So, uh, you know, when we go into a new customer situation, uh, you know, every firm either, you know, has a data platform or is looking for a data platform. And if we get into a customer situation and they're looking for a data platform and they view State Street uh, and, and CRD as a primary provider, then very often we get pulled into that and, and provide kind of not just the core portfolio management and compliance and performance and all the other things that we're known for in the middle office, but also a complete data infrastructure that undergirds that. Uh, we have that now. We have a, a really strong capability with ADP. Um, but uh, for our customers that, you know, that have that, they, they've got, you know, market, they've got, you know, whatever kind of data infrastructure we can easily, you know, uh, fit into that and effectively interface to that platform and pull whatever data we need to out of that platform into Charles River on a daily basis or even a real-time basis or likewise publish data uh, out of Charles River and into uh, their data infrastructure. So that ADP tool gives us a, uh, or what, you know, product gives us a really compelling capability to address the broad data access needs of a customer. And just, it, it really outsources the problem by having a technology partner like that, you know, access to data, it, it's all, you know, it, 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 it really is kind of the easy button, you know, the, the protocols for publishing data into Snowflake and all the vendors that are pre-integrated and the, and the open architecture that they employ Really, really, you know, as you were saying, it used to be that getting data was kind of point-to-point -point connections. Are you going to VPN that? You're going to lease line that? You're going to FTP that over? How's that going to come? What's the format going to be? All of those questions, the how and the format and all of that, they just disappeared. And now if that firm wants this firm to have data, they just click the publish and boom, it just happens. And, uh, and, and that's an amazing service. Uh, and ADP is one, but there are other technologies now you know, that do that. So that's the ADP product. We also have uh, a data services organization, and these are related. The data service organization can operate there. Am I cutting you off? You were going to say something? Oh, I, I was going to jump in. The ADP is the Alpha Data Platform. Alpha Data Platform. So that is our offering that leverages Snowflake as the underlying technology. Right which is a great product. A lot of our clients use it. Works on AWS or Azure, whatever you like. It's yeah. fully functional. People like the developers that talk to you say it's really easy to use. Uh, but what, what I just wanted to, to talk about how old we are. When uh, I was looking, you know, we talked about ADP. I actually worked at 
the, 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 public, the public company, ADP, when they were in the brokerage business before they spun off Broadridge um, as a separate entity. And I was going through old, old papers and I found a list from our customer support center of all of our sites, of all of our client sites that all had direct channels, direct feeds, right? They had 56K lines to every single office. And I was like, don't touch these clients. Before you do, you've got to call the support center before you mess with any of these circuits, right? And there was hundreds of them listed, hundreds, right. Goldman and Lehman and Solomon, all these guys don't mess with their circuits. And now it's all in the cloud. Just go, boop, now I got a virtual machine, spin it up and go. Whereas before you got to order it 30 days, 60 days for an ISDN line. It's just, it's just amazing. <laughs> so I just want to throw that out there. Uh, yeah, the, the, the ancient times. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about one of our sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation is a charitable foundation that helps charities which are supported by financial advisors. So if you know a financial advisor that supports a charity, either in the U.S. or abroad, you can submit his or her name to the Invest in Others Foundation to one of their programs, and they can be awarded uh, money for their charity. The Invest in Others Foundation is running one of their programs right now called Grants for Good. The application deadline is next week, January 24th. So please submit your financial advisor, as you know, for this grant. I think they're awarding up to $100,000 in grants to a number of charities. So any person who works in the financial services ecosystem is eligible to apply on behalf of a nonprofit. Uh, applications must be uh, active, currently volunteering with the nonprofit, and you just fill out the form online and you get a chance to uh, get some money for these nonprofits. I've been uh, honored to be a judge in some of these uh, programs and it's really tough. We have to look at 10 uh, different charities and decide and, and their advisors who help them and decide which ones to get the money. It's really hard. So the more money that you donate to invest in others, the more of these grants we can give. It makes it easier for us to pick because we'll have more money to, to spread around. So please go to the Invest in Others Foundation, investinothers.org on the web. You can learn more about them. Thanks. So tell us more about the Data Services Group and the kind yeah, of- Yeah, so the Data Services Group. Um, you know, we, there's, you know, we work with a new customer. The customer says, I want access to ICE. I want access to Refinitiv. I want access to, you know, MSCI risk model data. I want, you know, and we're open, you know, to all of those. Um, what we, what we find though is very often they need that, but they also need a level of enrichment beyond that. Uh, uh, and they also need someone to call when things go bump in the night. So they're not just looking for raw data. They're looking for post-process data. They're looking for enriched data. And they're looking for a service that wraps that to ensure data integrity and delivery. Uh, and so, uh, we, you know, we, and you also find that a lot around, you know, set master maintenance, corporate action processing. Uh, pricing data. There's just a lot of complexity in that, a lot of opportunities to get it wrong, and a lot of opportunities for data feeds to happen, but but the data in the feed is wrong. And so if you don't have, you know, if you don't have a really good service that's watching that and managing it, um, uh, you know, things can go bad. Uh, and so we've got a lot of our customers where, you know, um, they, they ask for, hey, I, I, you know, I want my pricing data from ICE and blah, blah, blah. And, and then when we really get under it, they don't just want that. They want that, but they want it in this way that's very specific to them. And, uh, and so that's what our data services group do. So when you take the, that data services capability and the services element, and you put it together with ADP as effectively an enabling technology platform, 
uh, we really have a very robust offering to help our you know customers and partners figure out how to you know how to build out and manage. So you've seen a lot of issues with clients um, not having their data organized. You know, they say you know you you show them your product and you show them your platform. You know, and the Charles River platform, you've got a lot of different you know components and you know you, you built it up over many years, but it requires the client to really have their data organized. So what are some of the things you've seen? When it comes to you know the, the data solutions and, and how they are coming, what are they coming to you and asking for? Yeah, uh, probably the best, um, most current topical example that I'm dealing with on a daily basis right now is around our new tailored portfolio solutions product, and that's our that's our new optimization based portfolio management engine that delivers higher order portfolio customization through optimization uh, for direct index portfolio management, tax optimization custom ESG portfolio construction, risk transitions, tax transitions, all those custom types of mandates. And those are powerful features and it's all over the press and it's driving a lot of M&A activity. But all of those features are triggered by client-specific data that require client-specific data. And and as we have, you know, kind of sales and, and partnership and development deployment dialogues with partners about tailored portfolio solutions, uh, we inevitably end up having deep conversations about, okay, so you want, you want us to do tax optimization. You know, uh, you can just push the button that says tax optimized, and that's going to give the same kind of tax optimization for everybody, which means it's only right for maybe half of them. So if you want to get it right for everybody, you need to know individual tax rates and external gains and losses and a tax budget and things like that. Uh, that are very specific to the individual customer. And some of it's static, a lot of it's dynamic. And so when we have that kind of conversation, everybody agrees, oh my gosh, if you can use that data and add value in tax management, that's fantastic. And then the next question is, okay, so where does that data live in your organization? And, you know, the eyes glaze and roll back and, you know, we've got, you know, 5,000 financial advisors, which means that information is stored in 5,000 different ways uh, in various file folders on those FA desktops. Um, and so that's the type of, you know, uh, uh, things that we have to unravel as we, as we look to implement these more advanced feature sets that require data. How do you systematize the processes for collecting, maintaining that information, getting it into the process so that we can act on it? Um, uh, most firms, you know, have not really thought that through. Uh, they, they maybe have basic customer information in their CRM, but real detailed information that's actionable for investment management decision-making, usually not. Um, and so that's when we really have to kind of lean in and, and, and engineer whole new processes for collecting and maintaining that data. Yeah, man, we're hearing the same thing. I mean, we built out some, some products on, on our consulting side for data assessment, because we hear this from other vendors uh, we work with, that that's, they say the same issue. They come in, they sell their platform, they get a deal, and they can't implement for six months because the data isn't there. It's not organized well. It's not managed well. It's overlapping. It's duplicative, or it's or it's not available. Uh, so we're seeing exactly the same thing, and and it requires a, a decent uh, data uh, data requirements and a requirement gathering pro, uh, pro, uh, process, current state assessment understand all that, all everything they're doing, where the data is located, how to optimize it, how to utilize it. They often have overlapping systems providing the same data that they didn't realize to downstream systems. And they can consolidate that in Charles, from Charles River or from another uh, vendor that's got the same feeds rather than bringing it from multiple places. Uh, so that's, that's, that, that requires a process of, of digging through that 
and, and meeting with the people and finding out what's going on. You remember the old industry construct of the unified managed household? Uh, you don't hear it talked about it as much anymore. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, a UMH is a data construct because, because you know, no financial advisor typically has 100% of their client assets. Always, there's always some asset somewhere else. And if you're really going to deliver a, a complete quality solution for a customer, you've got to get information about those assets. And in fact, it needs to be investable, actionable information. So a lot of the kind of data ag providers maybe provide some, some good information, but is it good enough to actually make investment decisions based on? And so, again, as, as we start to, you know, as, as investor expectations around how personalized will my portfolio be and how will it act on information about me, imagine a, a uh, a customer, you know, um, uh, does something in their self-directed account and make a significant investment and having a real-time data feed of that that effectively influences directly in real time how the managed assets that the FA has control of are managed. Um, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting use case and, and it's a very common use case, but engineering those data flows is still, even with modern kind of data architectures, really hard to do at scale and systematize well. Um, I think we're just at the beginning of, of kind of, you know, how it is that a lot of this customer level data is shared without tripping over PII and data, you know, InfoSec and a lot of those, you know, types of things. I think your, uh, your, your data warehouse, your, the Alpha Data platform should be able to do something like this in the future where it can bring yeah. in data aggregation information and then make decisions, feed it to yeah. a rules engine, feed it to some sort of uh, AI-based machine learning system that says, when we see this in, an, in a client's held away account, then most likely 80% of the time or 57% of the time, it means something else is happening and you should do this. You should take this action. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the exact types of use cases and scenarios where we're, we're looking to leverage ADP for. Yeah. yeah. And one thing we're doing, and you mentioned data aggregation, not being actionable. That's what we found for years and years that the, the data that's coming in from the data aggregation vendors, and it's not their fault, they're just aggregating data that they're being given, but it's not actionable. You can't trade on it. Nobody would ever trade on that data. You can use it to give yourself an idea of what the client has in other places, but nobody trades on it. You report on it, but nobody actually takes action on it. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a big difference. You know, if you're going to make, if it's going to be actionable, it's got to be reliable, accurate, and complete. And um, so, uh, uh, and, and it's usually, you know, it, it, historically data aggregation has not been used for that purpose. I think we'll get there. And I, and it, as you said, Alpha Data Platform will be our mechanism for ingesting that data and maintaining it. And that's mainly a middle office. Is that mainly middle office uh, data source? Or data. It is, but it, 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 it's not tied to that. I mean, Snowflake is not even an industry specific, so it, it's really kind of a generic data platform. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, it can be the mechanism for uh, maintaining, uh, you know, kind of price data, risk data, all the, all the kind of top end information to support uh, portfolio management and decision making. That's a primary function of our platform. And then it can also be used, and this is new, because normally custodial data feeds, which is a huge part of of how our industry has to operate is you always got to get a custodial data feed. You got to import it. You got to reconcile it. You got to make sure your pricing's right and your set master's right and your processing corporate actions right and all that stuff. ADP um, uh, can be a platform, and we're viewing it as a platform where we're going to build out kind of 
all of our custodial connections. And so effectively one pipe, one clearinghouse um, where all of that data can come in, be cleansed, routed, uh, and accessed by our customers. As opposed to the old way where you built a separate feed manager for each custodian and each one had its own and you tweaked it every time. So right. as you built over the years, like, like you right when you first started out in the wealth business back in 2008, you know, um, Charles River started that they built their first pipe to Pershing. I remember, right. Cause I was working at, I was, I was consulting at Pershing at the time. So then they built that a certain way. Then when they, maybe they went to Fidelity next and they built it a different way. And so you've got all these different, so you bring them all in the same place, the same, the same system, the same templates that just kind of tweak it for each one based on their file formats. And that's table stakes now. I mean, I you know I'd like to say that's all really smart stuff that you know you don't get you don't, you don't get awards for getting a you know a custodial data integration into the into the accounting <laughs> system. It's like just get it and get it make make it right, make it bulletproof because right. uh, you know it's foundational data. You're not going to get a cookie for that. No, no, not at all. So um, talking about some of the other your other systems and, um, and platforms, so. You've got your IBOR, your, your investment book of record. Uh, so you can talk about that because that, that's a relatively new product, right? So you didn't, you had a portfolio accounting engine, but then you built this IBOR. And that's right. Yeah. So we started a journey about five years ago in partnership with uh, two of our uh, biggest wealth customers. Uh, they they looked at the market uh, uh, of investment, you know, portfolio accounting and investment book of record platforms. Um, and wanted to get off of, you know, some of the legacy platforms, you know, all of them out there in the space. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really when we surveyed, and this happened, you know, well before I got to Charles River, uh, surveyed the landscape and came to the conclusion that, um, you know, there, there really wasn't in the market a, a modern technology sleeve, away, sleeve sub, really accurate sleeve sub accounting investment book of record. Uh, and, and we felt, you know, there uh, the sleeves of accounting for unified managed accounts was, was something that was largely added on to uh, uh, existing IBORs and, and, you know, with user-defined fields and other things. And it was kind of jammed into a legacy portfolio accounting system. And so we kind of took a fresh, you know, fresh, clean approach that looking at all of the industry's best practice, because unified managed accounts kind of, and, and, and how should sub-accounting happen and how do you delineate um, uh, uh, various responsibilities and how do you manage cash and duplicate securities across sleeves and all the minutia of the operations of a sleeve subaccounting UMA infrastructure. It's it's you know accounting's boring, but you got to get it right. And um, and and so uh, you know our, we we basically started from scratch, line you know, line of code one. Let's write a fresh investment book of record that's anchored on sleeve subaccounting and does it accurately foundationally. Uh, and so that's what the system uh, is. It was uh, built about five years ago. It's now operating at massive scale, hitting huge numbers. It's engineered for volumes, um, and and you know, and and it's it's kind of the foundation because it's got the tax lot level data all the way, and 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 it can be a, be effectively a shadow book of record against any or multiple backend custodial platforms. And so it really provides that unified, at least from a custodial data holdings view that unified, robust uh, sleeve sub-accounting view that you can then make all kinds of really sophisticated investment decisions off of. And you mentioned tax law data. We've had a number of other, number of other vendors um, talking about this on the podcast, and they all mentioned tax law data, that that's the biggest 
bane of their existence of trying to get the tax lot data right. Everyone thinks it's easy. It's not going to be a big deal. And then when they start bringing it in, it's a nightmare. Yeah, you know, it, I hear that. I mean, I've been dealing with every, every platform, everything I've ever I've done in the entire industry always has been tax lot level logic. And so to me, again, it's just table stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, dealing with the tax lots. There's you ultimately... Uh, you know, which is going to be the official, you know, view of tax lots. Is it what's in our eyeball or is it what's re- reflected in the custodial platform? Usually that's it. So we have to ensure just like we do with, you know, holdings level, tax lot levels got to be reconciled. It's got to be clean. Uh, and so every one of our customers where we're maintaining tax lots, there's a real rigorous process, whether it's a, a wipe and load or you're doing Delta tax lots where you're just looking at the deltas every night. There's multiple ways to do it. But uh, again, you know, table stakes, man, you got to figure that out because if you don't have good, accurate, actual tax lot data, you're making the wrong investment decisions and uh, that's not good for anybody. That's right. All right, Randy, I think you have said it all. You've covered everything we wanted to cover and we are out of time. Tell us, uh, tell everyone listening where they can find out more information about Charles River Development. Uh, CRD.com. We'll be at the MMI Summit in uh, the end of uh, March. Uh, really looking forward to COVID nonsense listening, lifting, and we can all kind of get back out on the, on the road and start to engage in some of the industry events that we've uh, missed seeing each other at. So we're yeah. out there. Go to CRD.com for information on our new TPS product. It's CRD.com slash TPS. And uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Randy, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Greg. See you soon. Hey, it's Craig again, and here are my top three takeaways from this episode. Number one, wealth tech vendors have realized that having a comprehensive data strategy is now table stakes in the industry, which is why Charles River launched their alpha data platform built on Snowflake. Two, if you're a broker-dealer evaluating technology platforms, make sure to check the vendor's data support team. It's more than just getting the raw data you need. It's the ability to enrich that data that's important to support your future needs, such as analytics and reporting down the line. Number three, it's never too late to take a fresh approach to handling client data. Uh, CRD did this when they decided to build their own IBOR or investment book of record as a separate entity from the portfolio accounting. And now they have a unified infrastructure that provides everything from a shadow book of record against multiple custodians to a full UMA sleeve sub accounting, all at scale. All right, you made it to the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Let me thank our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. You can find them at investinothers.org. And remember to please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and sign up for our newsletter. Each month, you'll get an email chock full of wealth management goodness, including news, analysis, trends, and more. I promise you won't be disappointed. All right, I'll talk to everyone again next time.